Good morning. It's great to see everyone this morning. It's great to be together, to worship the Lord, to sing our praises to him, to fellowship with one another. And, uh, and it's great to be together to open God's word this morning. So I'm going to dive right in. We're going to continue on in the book of Acts. And um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Please use that Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home or don't have your own Bible, please take that Bible. It is a gift from the church. It is your Bible. Please, please feel free to take that Bible. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 9 and verses 32 through 42. And the scripture should also be on the screen above. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, in Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood there, stood around him, crying, and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before your word, Lord. We open it up, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Father, may it not be our thoughts or my thoughts. Um, may it not just be, Lord, a, uh, a message or a lesson, but may we hear your words, Lord, through the words of your scripture. Father, speak to our hearts. Open us up. Help us to have open hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. And I pray that you would speak uh, through me your words by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us for any length of time, you probably know that we've been going through Acts for quite a while. Right? We're... uh, I counted, and we're in month number five in the book of Acts, and yet we're only in chapter nine. Right. So I don't know if it's because we're slow. Well, obviously we're slow. Right? But I don't know if it's because we're really thorough about Scripture or because we've taken some breaks right, with baptism and, and uh, fun fest and things like that. But I want to thank you for sticking with us sticking with it, it's staying with it, 
Okay, trying to take in what the Lord is saying through this book. Many say that the book of Acts is, the most, is one of the most complicated books in the Bible. Right? And that's saying a lot because the Bible can be pretty, pretty confusing. Acts is one of the most complicated books, and they say that because there's so much going on in the book. There's so much. The Acts of the, the Apostles, the movement of the Holy Spirit, right? persecution, healing, the gospel going out, all these things taking place. And the book jumps from story to story. Sometimes it seems like there's no connection between the stories. Another one of the more confusing things about Acts is the idea that everything we see and read is meant to be a model for us to imitate. Certainly the faith of the apostles, the unity of the early church, and the devotion to Christ's teachings, I think are things that we want to emulate. But not everything we read, every story we see, every miracle right, we read about is meant to be just automatically taken and copied. But each story is here for a reason. And the beautiful thing about God's Word, I believe, is that the more you stay in the Word, the more you seek God's wisdom from Scripture, the more insight He gives you. I'm not surprised I'm not at all surprised when people come up to me and they say, you know, I don't get much out of the Bible when they only read it sporadically and they randomly try to read something. But I'm not surprised at all when people say they receive so much from Scripture. They receive guidance. They receive wisdom. They, re- they feel like the Lord is speaking to them when they regularly spend time in it. And so there's a key there, I think, for us to, to learn. But I appreciate your patience, how we've been plodding along through the book of Acts as we, as we seek to learn and understand what God has for us. Here in our passage this morning, we see Peter visiting an o- other believers in a town called Lydda. In verse 33, it says, Peter found a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. In verse 34, Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Now, in effect, what Peter's saying here is, dude, you're good to go. Get up, make your bed, and go on with your life. Okay, maybe he didn't use the dude part, right? Because... He's not from the West Coast. Um, but we don't know if Aeneas or his family, if they asked Peter to help them. We don't know any of this. Scripture doesn't tell us. But Peter heals him and he frees him from his physical and psychological chains. And he gives him a new lease on life. And he says, go and live. It's not the first time that we've seen Peter or the apostles heal someone here in Acts. In chapter 3, Peter heals a man who was lame from birth. In chapter 5, 
Peter and the other apostles healed the sick and tormented that were brought to them. In chapter 8, it says, Philip healed and restored many. And then two weeks ago, if you were here, right, Pastor Corey reenacted Ananias healing Saul from his blindness. The bottom line is that divine healings were not uncommon for the apostles here in the book of Acts. Continuing on with the passage then, in a nearby town of Joppa, a believer named Tabitha, and scripture says in Greek her name was Dorcas. We'll stick with Tabitha, right? She was a caring woman, and she was always doing good, it says. She was helping the poor. About this, t- about this time, she became sick, and she died. So at the request of uh, a couple of the disciples, Peter comes to the home where Tabitha's body, and her body lays ready for burial, right? She's dead. When he arrives, he's surrounded by mourners, giving, grieving and saddened by Tabitha's death. In particular, Scripture points out that a group of widows, a group of widows whom Tabitha had cared for, were especially grief-stricken. It says they stood around crying, and they stood around Peter, and they showed him the garments and the clothing that Tabitha had made for them. Now, we know the Lord has commanded the church and believers to care for widows and orphans and those who don't have, and those who probably don't have family to support them like we do, right? And Tabitha was faithful. She was faithful to this call. So you can imagine the grief that they had when her, their main form of love and support and someone to make them clothes and to care for them died. In verse 40, Peter clears the room. He gets on his knees and he prays. And then he says to Tabitha, get up. Miraculously, she opens her eyes up. She opens her eyes and she sits up. He helps her to her feet and presents her alive and well to everyone gathered in the house. And scripture again points out, especially the widows. Right? He presents her alive and well to those in the house, especially the widows. I think this is such a tender scene that conveys and shows the love and compassion of our God. And one can only imagine the rejoicing, the rejoicing and the happiness that took place that they felt that day in that house. So what we have here with Aeneas and with Tabitha are two two bona fide miracles, okay? Two certified miracles. It wasn't an anomaly of medicine. It wasn't some unusual occurrence to be explained away. Two bona fide miracles, and in Acts, these are referred to as signs and wonders. Right? So as you look at your outline, you see it's all signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. Okay? And we're going to talk about signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are supernatural manifestations of God's power through his believers. Supernatural manifestations. In Acts, this included things like speaking in tongues, speaking in a language 
that you've, you've never known. Healings, casting out of evil spirits, and in today's passage, raising someone from the dead. It's a regular theme in the book. In Acts chapter 2, Peter speaks of wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. In Acts 4, Peter and John ask God to stretch out his hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. In Acts 5 and 6, it says the apostles and Stephen performed great signs and wonders among the people. Right, so this term, signs and wonders, it's not my term. It's not from the commentary. It is straight from God's word. Signs and wonders are these supernatural manifestations of his power through his believers. So the question is, what is God doing? What is he doing as he empowers his people here in the early church to perform these miraculous acts? What is the purpose of these signs and wonders? Let me give you three things that I see from Scripture. First, signs and wonders are an authentication of Jesus' authority. So to start with, what's the point of a sign? Right? What, you know, like it says, sanctuary this way, right? Or Bible study over there, or park here. What's the point of a sign? It's an indicator, right? It's, it's usually to direct you or to point you to something else. Now, I don't know if you're good with signs, but I'll confess I'm not so good with signs. Um, you can ask, you can ask well, anyone in my family, but you can ask Renee. Sometimes I'll miss streets, so like road signs, for example. I'll miss streets. I'll miss off-ramps. I'll miss whole freeway interchanges, <laughs> okay? Because I either don't see the signs or I misinterpret them. Now, I think it's a, there's a conspiracy out there, right? There's some of these signs, they could really do a better job making them more clear, but I'm sure that they want me to, like, right, drive past the same business over and over again. But have you ever had that, like, sinking feeling, right, when you're looking for a street or an, uh, an off-ramp, and then you see it go by, right? Like, while you're driving, you're like, oh. right? And then someone from the back seat says, Dad, why are we driving around again? Right? And I'm like, because I like this route. Right? When we see Peter heal Aeneas and raise Tabitha from the dead, those are clear signs of the power and authority of Jesus Christ. When Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, he's not looking for recognition or for glory for himself. I'm sure Peter gets great joy out of healing other people. Okay, and that, I think, is also a little lesson for us. This is the blessing that God gives us, that he allows us when we are extensions of the Lord to other people and to other people in need. This blessing, this good sense to be able to see people be healed, be changed, to learn something, to be comforted. This is a blessing that we as believers receive as we serve others. 
But Peter's main purpose here is to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. If you turn back with me to Acts chapter 3, it says in Acts 3, 6, a lame man asks Peter and John for money. So just like people today, right, sometimes you'll encounter people that are begging or panhandling, and they may ask for money. So it's just like that. This man was paralyzed. It says he was lame from birth, and so he was used to begging. He asked Peter in chapter 3, he asked Peter and John for money, and Peter says this, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Instantly the man's legs become strong, and he gets up and he walks. Then in verse 16, Peter tells the onlookers, those who see this, this amazing miracle happen, he says, by, the faith, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. He's saying, in case there's any doubt that you think it's maybe it's my power or that it's some other trick or magic. If there's any doubt, he's, Peter is testifying to the fact this man was healed by the authority of Jesus' name. Coupled with the gospel, signs and wonders are a declaration that Jesus has authority over disease, over death, over evil spirits, that he is Lord over life and death and everything in between. In Colossians 1, 16 through 19, the Apostle Paul says, For in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ, that all things were created in him, through him, and for him. And then get this, and in him all things hold together. It's pretty, pretty comprehensive. These signs and wonders were proof to the people that the gospel is true and that Jesus is Lord over it all. Second, signs and wonders are a reflection of the kingdom of God. One of Jesus' primary activities while he was on earth that you read about in the, in the gospels was to preach the kingdom of God and show us what it looks like. This was his ministry. He says as much in Luke 4.43 when he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because this is why I was sent. So what, what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, Jesus gives a little picture, a glimpse of it in, in Luke 7.22. 
He describes the kingdom in part when he says, Report to John, John the Baptist, report to him what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is precisely what we see in the book of Acts. Saul receives sight. Aeneas walks. The lame man walks. Tabitha is raised from the dead. People are healed. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor, to the sick, and to the widows. Right? We see this in Scripture. Now, certainly there are other elements to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of heaven. This is not meant to be comprehensive over everything that God's kingdom includes. There's things about his glory, things about his majesty, the riches, the opulence that is in God's kingdom and in heaven, the worship of people from every tongue and tribe that will be together to worship the Lord. But what we see here in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts is a core part, it's a core part of Christ's rule and reign. It is part of his kingdom. Sometimes God's kingdom, as I was thinking about it, it's hard to see, right? Sometimes God's kingdom is barely discernible in the world in which we live because sin has tainted everything. We know about Right, the fall of man and Adam and Eve and their sin and how it's carried throughout the human race. Sin has broken our relationship with God. It's broken our relationship with ourself and how we understand ourself. It's broken our relationship with each other. And it's broken our relationship with creation and the rest of society and the, and the world that we live in. It permeates our world and it permeates our lives because it's gotten deep within us that sin is part of us, our sin nature. When we see brokenness, poverty, disease, death, decay, understand, these are effects of the fall. But the good news, the good news of the gospel is as King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus is making all things new. Revelation 25 says that. Jesus is making all things new. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. And as followers of Christ, as people who say, I believe in Jesus, I think this is what we should be about as well the restoration and renewal for people around us, for our own lives, for our church itself. In Matthew 10.1, Jesus gives his authority to the disciples to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then in verse 7, Jesus says, while you're doing these things, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. The signs and wonders performed by the apostles are a continuation 
of Jesus' ministry of the gospel of the kingdom. Can you see it? The similarities between Jesus' ministry in the gospels and the things that the apostles are doing here in the book of Acts. In just these two stories today, we see God's hand moving people from sickness to health, despair to hope, death to life, and from mourning to rejoicing. And this, people, is a picture of the kingdom of God. Finally, signs and wonders are an invitation to believe, to turn to the Lord. Did you notice what happened after each miracle as we read the pa- what happened after each miracle here in the passage? Acts 9:35 says, "All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, Aeneas, and turned to the Lord." Then in 9:42, after Tabitha was raised from the dead, it says, "This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord." After seeing the display of God's power, people came to the Lord. Now, as miraculous as these things were, I think it would be a mistake. It would be wrong to assume that the people came to the Lord purely based on what they saw with Aeneas and with Tabitha, just purely based on seeing a miracle happen. Okay, I don't believe they came to the Lord that way. I think we can assume that if Peter and the other apostles were in Lydda and were in Joppa and in the area, they would be preaching the gospel, right? Because we've seen that, at least through these first nine chapters, they preach the gospel. It is what they do. So we can assume that they preach the gospel. This means that the people in the town now believed what had been preached to them, that Jesus is the promised Messiah and that he is the risen Son of God. In Acts 8, 6, God appears to use signs and wonders as a lead-in for the preaching of the gospel, kind of like a, an opening act before a main event. Acts 8, 6 says, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention. To what he said. So this is important, right? Signs and wonders are to be accompanied by the preaching of the gospel. This is how people understand who Jesus is and who he proclaimed to be, by the preaching of the gospel. Remember back in Acts chapter 3, I talk about how Peter and John, they healed the, lame, the man that was lame from birth. Well, in Acts chapter 4, they're arrested. Peter and John are arrested, and they're brought before the religious leaders who don't like them talking about Jesus, and they're forced to explain themselves. So what's the saying? No good deed goes unpunished. That's not from the Bible, so don't. (laughs) No good deed goes unpunished. That seems like what's happening here. Right? They heal this man, and then they're called to say, what in the world are you doing? Like, in Acts 4, starting with verse 9, Peter says, If we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, 
and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which mankind must be saved. Right, that's Acts 4, 9 through 12. How awesome is this? They're called to answer to these ridiculous charges. And what Peter does is he preaches the gospel. Right? He proclaims the name of Jesus. And he brings healing together with the message of salvation. And he admonishes them to believe on the name and the person of Jesus Christ. Signs and wonders are not an invitation to simply believe in the supernatural or to be wowed by the paranormal. The extraordinary can be fascinating. But Scripture shows, in the end, it's meaningless. It's meaningless if it doesn't edify the body of Christ or it doesn't point to the person of Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, and I know I refer to all these different passages, but uh, the last one, in Acts chapter 8, it says a man in Samaria named Simon, that he had a large following. And he had a large following because he amazed people, because he did sorcery and magic. And so people thought, wow, this guy has great power. He has amazing power. Well, Simon comes in contact with Philip and the other apostles. And he sees the power that they have through the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus to grant the Holy Spirit to people and to give and to heal and to change people's lives. And Simon, this sorcerer, this magician, he wants it. He wants it for himself. Right? And so he tries, to offer, he tries to offer them money for it. And, and Peter rebukes him as, as harsh as, as can be. He rebukes him. See, Simon thought he could buy God's power, like we buy things off the Internet, that he could take it like a product. Right? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, No way. Signs and wonders are not an ends in themselves, and they're not to glorify an individual. Aeneas' healing and Tabitha's revival were an authentication of Jesus' authority over life and death, a reflection of the healing and restoration of the kingdom of God, and an invitation for people to believe in Christ. And in Acts 9, at the end of the chapter, that's what we see. People came to the Lord. So does God, does God do miracles today? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes, I believe so. In our modern society, I think that we explain it away or we rationalize it or we attribute it to something else. But I think God, in his sovereignty, he can and he does exert his supernatural power upon our lives. 
As I said earlier, I think, I don't think every passage is prescriptive and just meant to be taken and copied. But my hope is that as individuals and as a church together, that we would grow in our faith in the power of God to do amazing things, that we would grow in our understanding that Jesus has dominion and authority over every aspect of life, and that we would experience the blessing and the renewal of God's kingdom, and that we would share it with others. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word, Lord, as you spoke to us this morning, would sink into our hearts. It would sink into us deeply, Lord, that you would help us to take what is important, what you want for us, and to hold on to it, and to, uh, to learn from it, and to apply it to our lives. And the things that aren't important, the things that aren't of you, that we would let those things go, and they would be forgotten. Lord, I pray that you would bring us together as a church to experience, Father, uh, the blessing and the amazing power and sovereignty that you have. And to you, we give all praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.